Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boostbytaxday to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Escuchas ese rugido. Sientes la experiencia de poder, la emoción de la libertad. Ya estás preparado para vivir tu nueva aventura. Nueva Ram 1500, hecha para vivir. Ram es una marca registrada de FCA US LLC. Watching the polls on the Joy News channel this afternoon, the West Africa Examination Council is overwhelmed by the high numbers of malpractices uh, in the ongoing West Africa Senior School Certificate Examination, which is underway across the country. We'll tell you more as uh, students, uh, teachers and invigilators have already been uh, arrested. We have details plus a conversation with officials of the council who are joining us uh, on the polls in a short while.
And we are also uh, taking an update on this whole scandal between the LGP and some senior officers uh, of the Ghana Police Service as the service is this accident reversing the interdiction of uh, some senior police officers. We'll tell you about the latest uh, on the interdiction and also uh, the plans by Parliament's ad hoc committee to hear the case. And uh, later on, we know that works are underway to clear the deadly toll booths on the Accra Tema motorway. Uh, pictures uh, of uh, what is uh, underway there happening at the uh, toll booth as far as the Accra Tema motorway is concerned. Uh, we'll get uh, some updates for you plus details on this new uh, approach towards dealing with traffic congestion and risk on that road network. A little bit over one million Ghana cities, and that takes care of uh, the one million. It covers uh, both the demolition works and the solar, the street lighting. So it's just a minor work. That it's not a major work that we are doing. It's just a minor work. So the work has started, and these are more we are bringing to you here on the Pulse. It's a pleasure to always be with you. My name is Blessed Sugan. The Pulse is always is brought to you by Global Communities Dignity Lua for Double Safe Sanitation for All. Live on DSTV Channel 421 and Go TV Channel 125. This is The Polls. We're on Facebook, YouTube, and MyJoyOnline.com. Thanks for joining us. And this afternoon, the West Africa Examination Council says it has identified widespread malpractices in the ongoing West Africa Senior uh, High School Certificate Examinations. Uh, the council says that malpractices are so much that it is unable uh, to actually get the exact numbers uh, that, uh, immediately, but uh, confirms that students, teachers and supervisors have all been indicted uh, in the process. Well, um, John Capi is the head of public affairs at uh, WAEC, and he's been speaking on some of these issues. Uh, this character has been arrested, and then he is being handed over to the police. He decided to bribe uh, WAEC officials. Both, um, his students are writing exams at Sunyani St. Mary's Junior High School. In the name of the school, he is the board chairman of St. Mary's Donomar Senior High School. It's a private school, actually. But, yes. So, at St. Benedict, you can see they have this long hole. And for maybe about 50 candidates, there is a whiteboard marker there. There's a whiteboard there. And what has been happening is. In the course of the exam, an official will come and produce the responses on the board for the students or the candidates to copy. So with this one, our officers intercepted this and money taken from candidates. So you can see on the left hand side the serial number of the candidates and then attached to it the amount the candidate has paid. So for instance, you can see row 13. It's the same thing, so row 26 or room 26, candidate 751, he has paid 300 now to 400. 752, he has managed to pay 100. 753, 200. And it goes on like that. 
So it's a same school. He sent it down on He came to pay. They gave me a receipt. Five hundred cities. To the headmaster, oh Bruce. Sir Bruce. Sir Timothy. Sir Timothy. Sir Okay, so uh, the pieces of evidence that Wyack is relying on to put out that uh, public uh, statement indicating that it is becoming overwhelming uh, when it comes to matters relating to exam or practice. So what's the council uh, seeking to do about this? Joining us via Zoom now is uh, John Capiz, the Director of Public Affairs for the West Africa Examination Council. Uh, joining us now, thank you, uh, sir, for spending some time with us. Uh, Dr. Peter Antipati uh, is uh, an educationist as well uh, with the Institute for uh, Education. That is uh, IFAS joining us uh, also in this uh, conversation. So let's start off with you, uh, John Capiz, since uh, you are address the press uh, and of course uh, your council has outlined some of the challenges you're having with the exam this is not the first time obviously and we must be we must take that on record but how bad is the situation as we speak uh, thank you and good afternoon to your listeners um, I think that basically uh, the trend is getting a little more complicated and it's more widespread than it used to be uh, there are a lot more schools involved and a lot more teachers and candidates who are desperate to assist each other in this uh, uh, exercise. Um, the, the extent to which this is bad is the fact that uh, we have evidence of money having been collected from these candidates, ranging between 500 cities and 1,000 cities with the uh, promise to assist them in the examination hall. And so this is a trend that the level of more practice has taken. Uh, and we know uh, that you're built to take some action on the ones that you've uncovered. Let's talk about these institutions and what you actually intend to do with them. Well, for the institutions, we uh, have earmarked uh, scrutiny of their scripts. That is to say, when the marking is done, we'd want to do further scrutiny to ascertain the level of um, irregularity that they have. We also look at their location, and if it is possible to move the center from where it is to a safer location, we'll do that. And for some of them, if, for example, for the private schools, we may choose to recognize them if the evidence uh, pointing to irregular, irregularity is overwhelming. And when it comes to, you know, the authorities, obviously Ghana Education Service will come in, into the picture, the Ministry of Education will come into the picture. Uh, what, what's the level of collaboration taking place now, just to nip this in the bud, to put an end to it, by the way? 
Right. So we are supposed to work directly in collaboration with the Ghana Education Service because the teachers in the field are supposed to be employees of the Ghana Education Service. We have so far reported these cases to the Director General Ghana Education Service. So they are very much aware. We are compiling a list of uh, examination officials, teachers, supervisors who are in the employment of the Ghana Education Service. And this list will be handed over to them. And we expect that they will take disciplinary action against these teachers. Uh, Dr. Dr. Antti, the, the point about, you know, finding a lasting solution to it, to, to this whole issue of um, exam malpractice, I recall that at some point the Ministry of Education, it, it was WIAC actually, uh, indicating to us that as part of the security features, um, cameras might be introduced into the examination hall. Uh, lots of consideration. And, and yet, all we see year by year is that cases of malpractice will still happen. How do we safeguard the integrity of the exercise? Thank you very much, and good afternoon to your viewers. I, I'm not surprised because I I felt that the focus of uh, uh, YEC and most of us, even in the in the education space, have been to deal with pre-examination more practices. So we were so much focused on the leakage of papers. That is why um, over the years you see us talk a lot more about uh, this paper has leaked, this paper has leaked, and so on and so forth. And YEC has taken steps to try to. Uh, uh, minimize that particular uh, 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 more practice. But what we forgot or what we did not pay much attention to was the fact that there is also during exams more practice, which happens within the examination center. And this is very prevalent, especially when it's got to do with marketability of a school, uh, the bragging right of a school, and so on and so forth. Teachers, Students, school authorities want the schools, the, the students to pass so that they can, they can use that as if, especially with the private schools to, 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 to boost their, 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 their rankings in, in, in the country. And that is what we are experiencing now. Uh, how do we deal with this? I, I think that there, there can be so many ways that we can look at it. That's, um, the, 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 my, my friend there from WIAC is, is talking about. But first and foremost, I think that we need a broader policy wise, uh, directive in terms of this kind of more practices that has been happening. And we have said a long time that we should look at the value of the certificates that we issue at the end of, uh, of, of, of SS, 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 SS education. And I say this because there's a lot of pressure on it. I've said that when students complete school and they cannot progress in their life in terms of all, in terms of everything, whether they, they are entering the world of work or they are entering uh, any kind of education, they cannot progress because they couldn't pass a particular subject. This kind of pressure will come on the certificate. So we need a broader policy directive on how do we separate the, the fact that somebody has completed 14 years of education in Ghana. And I say 14 years of education because I'm talking about from KG or even class one, up to SHS 3, and that is 14 years. And the only way that a person can progress in life is the ability of that particular student to pass the WASI examination. That is very, very problematic. And I think that we need to address that challenge. When you're able to water down the, the value of the certificate in terms of the, the, the ability of the student to progress after he, he or she has written these particular exams. I think we will be able to deal with some of these things and then add all the other uh, uh, suggestions and ideas that have come that have come into play uh, uh, to to ensure that the, 
the, the practice um, uh, uh, is minimized. But for me, the first thing we need to do, which is a broader pol- policy thing, and it's even beyond WAEC, is to ensure that there should be something to, to note that someone has finished his education, at least a pre education in Ghana. And then the WAEC examination can also be, uh, the WAEC certificate can also be issued to a student who wants to pursue uh, further, further studies. That, that would water down the pressure on this particular certificate that the students are getting. Because if you sit for WASI and you don't pass, you have to sit for remedials till you pass before you can progress. No, no employer will pick you or employ you. At the same time, you cannot enter any tertiary institution in Ghana. So everybody would want to pass. Parents would want their wants to pass. Teachers would want their students to pass. And students themselves want to pass because they don't want to feel stagnant mm. in, in, in okay. their life. And that is what is causing this. Uh, John Kapi, what are the common you know, forms of malpractices that you, you've uncovered this year? Are they different from the traits that you, you keep finding uh, from the previous years? Because uh, the reason for which I'm asking this is that uh, the indication from the press conference is at least one school has as many as uh, eight mobile phones seized. Uh, these are some of the reports we are hearing of. So, what forms are these uh, malpractices taking this time around? Yeah, so um, as uh, Doc indicated, um, there are people who want to, to have bragging rights, you know, and so they'd want to market their schools. Um, in one school, that, that's a private school, for example, we picked 86 phones just at one sitting. So now, not 80. Eight six, yeah. yeah. Mm. Eight six, yeah. Mm. Now, so the the trend now is that the websites that used to post question papers before the commencement of the examinations are not able to do so because they don't have access to anything. Now, per our um, reports, reports from our investigators, it's that they are asking the candidates now to go in with their phones so that post opening of the parcels snapshots will be taken and then uh, answers will be prepared and sent to them by whatever means that they uh, that they can basically whatsapp and then the telegram pages you know so snapshots being taken sent out uh, answers prepared and sent back to the candidates by whatsapp there are also these uh, situations where there are photocopies of prepared answers we were some of the pictures we showed today indicate we were counting the number of photocopies made by one teacher that he intended to distribute across to the candidates of his institution. I see. Okay. Uh, now the issue about the schools themselves and how you deal with them. Um, have you mapped out the plan yet? Have you made any arrests yet? Yeah, for arrests, yes, we've made arrests. Um, a number of teachers have been arrested um, across the country. Uh, we, we've not put out the figures yet because as virtually every day new reports are coming, new cases are coming. We also have had some impersonators and the teachers who are collaborating with these impersonators, they also have been arrested. Um, with the private schools where we have appointed supervisors, we've uh, suspended those supervisors and we've handed them over to the police for appropriate uh, action to be taken. Probably the the, the problem, uh, it's also coming from the approach uh, and the psyche of the students uh, going into this examination. Very often, WIAC is seen as, <laughs> I don't know how to describe that, but, but you've been there, you've been in that situation before when they talk about an examiner, uh, examiner coming in with papers at the end of, um, you know, your academic uh, journey. 
it's part of the anxiety and the reason for which some of these students would want to opt for any option that will ease the pressure uh, when it comes to writing WASI. You agree? Right. Um, basically, yes, it's a, a new thing to a lot of people that they are going to an examination that is not uh, set by their own teachers. The environment is different. You are going to be spaced out in a hall, and those scripts are not going to be marked by your teacher. Psychologically, of course, this could affect some of the candidates. What we've tried to do over the years has been to do what we call sensitization. We go out there and speak with the candidates. Mm -hmm. We tell them what they can do, what they cannot do, how they can prepare themselves adequately for the examination. And we stress that whatever they've been taught in class, whatever they've been assessed on, is virtually the same thing that we are going to bring out. Just that this time around is a body that has, you know, set these questions and not their teachers in the mm. classroom. So, but, yes, the anxiety may be there. Yeah. The desire to pass will be there. But I think that um, we've also tried to allay the fears of these candidates that this is not rocket science. It is possible for everyone mm. to pass the examination. Doc, uh, on that point, are teachers contributing to, to this uh, fear and anxiety on the part of students? I think that the work of the teacher is basically to um, assist the students uh, go through the anxiety period. Of course, examination is uh, something that all of us, no matter your level, when you are going to sit for exams, you, you experience certain kinds of anxiety. But then you ask yourself, where is the anxiety coming from? The anxiety is coming from the fact that the student knows that if he does not pass the exams, that is the end of him mm -hmm. or her. Yeah. And, and that is that is the point, you see. So everybody would want to find various means to, 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 to ensure that they, they pass. Teachers are supposed to water down on the anxiety. Teachers are supposed to encourage the students. Teachers are supposed to let them know that this is one of the normal exercises that they are supposed to go through mm. in their in their lives. But when the student still feels that I am not adequately prepared, when the student when the student feels that if he is not able to or she is not able to pass the exams, the end result is a doom for him. Then every means possible mm. would be employed to. To, yeah. to, to pass the exams. And, yeah. and that is why I, I keep saying that we need a broader policy to look at how we issue this uh, certificate and handle this examination mm. so that I can do 14 years of education and then I get something to show that I've, I've finished senior high school or pre-tertiary education in Ghana. Then I write my WASI, and if I want to continue to a tertiary institution, then I use my WASI to continue to the tertiary institution. Those who would want to enter the world of work or other areas, they can use the certificates that indicates that they have done some sort of education to, to, to do that. That is very, very important. And I, I, I think that that will water mm. down the, the anxiety and, okay. and, and, and the practices that we are experiencing because it is serious. And I, I'm glad that this time around, WIAC is being open about this issue and they are discussing it. John, John Kabir, any final words to parents who may be wondering if their awards and their papers uh, might be cancelled? Well, we've appealed to parents to um, psych up their children about this examination. Um, there shouldn't be any anxiety on the part of parents if their children have been psyched up well enough. And want to also appeal to parents not to be collaborators. We have evidence of situations where some of the parents have attempted to assist their children, especially even at the BEC, by providing them with phones to go to examination centers. You know, so um, we want to appeal to parents: um, prepare your 
child adequately with their appropriate teachers, appropriate books and everything, mm. and then encourage them. Tell them it is possible to do it. Life does not come easy for anybody. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. ¿Escuchas ese rugido? ¿Sientes la experiencia de poder? ¿La emoción de la libertad? Ya estás preparado para vivir tu nueva aventura. Nueva Ram 1500, hecha para vivir. Ram es una marca registrada de FCA US LLC. We've got to wait for it. Okay, that's a, a very interesting point uh, for all of us to know. John Capi, thank you for joining us. Uh, but, uh, Dr. Antti, you'd want to stay on with us uh, because uh, it's now emerging that illiteracy is uh, actually weighing heavily on Ghana's development. Uh, as new data from the Ghana Statistical Service shows that at least 8 million Ghanaians are illiterate. Uh, it does mean that one in every four Ghanaian you meet out there on the streets is not literate. And the details are actually contained in uh, new data released by the uh, Statistical Service on the occasion of the world literacy uh, day but there's a need for us to understand what's going into the figures what's informing this and possibly why we're where we are today uh, so we could possibly get to the data for you and try and give you a sense of uh, what's happening in terms of the national picture on the day uh, of literacy so here you have it in terms of uh, what's happening and what you need to know in terms of the numbers we need to give you a sense of what's happening to the numbers 8 million in all, as we understand, uh, per this uh, data coming through from uh, the Ghana School Service. And today it's been dedicated to the fact that we're looking at promoting literacy for the world in transition and building the foundation for sustainable and peaceful societies. Uh, so if you take a look at Ghana's situation, 8 million people uh, you know, in the illiteracy bracket, and these individuals can, not, can act, neither read nor write in any language at all. So... Even in their local dialects, they are not able to express themselves on maybe paper uh, and talk less of uh, English language as well. So if you take four persons, we know that at least one of them uh, is likely here in Ghana to fall within that uh, illiterate bracket. Uh, you take a look at the trend, um, you know, 10% of uh, illiterates concentrated in nine districts in Ghana, as you take a look at it. Uh, just uh, look at some of the districts that we're pointing to you. You have the Tamale Metropolis, uh, you have the Nanumba Northeast, Mamprosi is also there. Uh, some parts, mostly in the northern parts of the country. And then you have uh, Central Gonja also coming through. Ketu South municipality is also on that list. And you have Boku uh, West featuring there uh, as to some of the areas accounting for that trend. So nine out of uh, you know 16 regions in Ghana had at least one district with more than half of its population being 
literates. Uh, and so you have the regional distribution of what's happening there, the northern region leading. Uh, Upper West follows through, and uh, it goes on and on and on to the Ashanti region. And that's why we're all concerned about what's happening. Uh, Doc, when you look at the you know, regional distribution and the fact that 8 million in all are illiterates, what's the impact possibly on our education system and you know, national development? Thank, thank you very much. And if, if you really uh, look at issues of literacy and numeracy, you understand that that is the basis of an educational system. So in, in most instances, policies are developed just to address the problems of literacy and numeracy at the early grade levels of, of students. So it's, it's interesting that um, a lot of us in, in, in the country, that is one out of four people, seems or is illiterate. It means that the person cannot read or write in any any language and and that is that is damning i think that we 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 have to have a second look at how we teach uh, language in in this country i think we also have to look at our general language policy and the attention that we are giving to even a comp- comprehensive education what we used to call the non-formal education because these are avenues that we use we use to um match up with those who have not been able to pick up the the, the 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 level of literacy that they need to they need to get because if someone goes through you see the assumption is that if someone goes through primary school and the person enters junior high school and then finally ends in the senior high school the assumption is that that person has got some some level of literacy and numeracy skills but in most instances that is not the case so the only way that we try to avert these uh, uh, discrepancies is the the introduction of comprehensive education where the the person is taken through what we used to call the non formal education system. But as we as we 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 look at it now, you would notice that that particular aspect of our educational uh, system seems not to be so functional, and and as a result of that, it will be difficult for for us to even. Uh, take a, a, a second look at how we'll be able to improve on the literacy. And this, this has a potential of affecting the overall education in, in, in the country because we want people to be able to read and write. In terms of our development, if people cannot read and write, nothing, nothing, nothing can, can be done because you see one, you would notice that if you have uh, now we are doing if you see some if you see something say something from the national security there are adverts that are that are being uh, 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 shown to um um sensitize people about various issues if people cannot read and write about some of these things it means that the end result of the 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 the, the reason why we are doing these things would never be achieved and that is why for me i think that we need to have a, a strategy to address this high level of illiteracy in in our society um, what policy options uh, should the likes of the education ministry uh, be, be considering I need to be frank with you. There are a lot of things that are being done in in the in the literacy uh, level. There are a lot of things, uh, programs that are being introduced, and I'm still surprised that because there are a lot of programs that are being run in the northern part of the country in terms of trying to improve literacy and numeracy. So if you look at the data, and it still shows that um, these programs, it seems that they are not achieving their targets. It becomes a little bit uh, worrying to some of us. I I think one 
we need to evaluate the programs and the policies that we have implemented to improve literacy. We need to evaluate and see which ones are working and which ones are not working, and then how we'll be able to uh, uh, adjust to ensure that we achieve the set objectives of that. Apart from that, I think that we need to now revisit the, the issue of uh, uh, non-formal education and comprehensive education in the sector. We need to uh, make sure that we, we increase their budget allocation and then equip their instructors to be able to now offer some kind of literacy uh, skills to uh, the, the, the students that, that enroll. I think we also need to embark on more media campaigns about literacy. We need to ensure that we can use the various media platforms, what local, I mean, the traditional media, social media, whether through radio stations or through television stations. We need to find design programs to meet the, 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 the literacy aspirations of, of the country. I think these are various ways that we can we can adopt to ensure that we improve the, the level of literacy. And hopefully by the next time that we do this kind of exercise, we will see a reduction in the number. Of and it's, and it's instructive it's very... to note, and it's instructive to note that this is not just about the English language. Yes, yes, that is that is the point I'm making. It's about all the languages that we are is being spoken in Ghana. And in fact, if you if you do the kind of work that I do and you walk through various schools and you go and you see the way that even those who are supposed to be masters of the language that they are supposed to use as a form of instruction are struggling to use it, then you would understand that we have a long way to go. And I think that when we adopt multiple measures using the media, um improving on the uh, uh, the, the non-formal education system at the same time ensuring that teachers that teach various local languages are equipped adequately at the same time also evaluating the various language policies that we have in the country will be able to at least reduce the number of literacy that have been recorded in the country by the Ghana Statistical Service. Grateful, uh, and thanks for spending time uh, with us, uh, Dr. Ante. You're welcome, sir. Ill-advised and embarrassing. That's how at least private uh, legal practitioner, Kuku Pencil, is describing the Ghana Police Service's decision to reverse the interdiction of three police officers at the uh, centre of this alleged uh, plot to oust the Inspector General of Police 24 hours after the service ordered their interdiction. Uh, we'll hear from him shortly. Uh, first on your screens now is a copy of this uh, statement signed by the Director uh, of uh, Public Affairs for the Ghana Police Service and details are pointing to, um, you know, why the Ghana Police Service is, uh, you know, uh, reversing the suspension or interdiction, I should say, of these uh, three individuals, uh, some of whom have uh, already appeared before Parliament's ad hoc committee. Uh, but first, though, the legal practitioner, Kweku Penso, uh, who's uh, emphatic, the decision to reverse this interdiction is ill-advised. This was a parliamentary inquiry. This got nothing to do with the police. Even though the personnel or the people, subject matter of the inquiry, are members of the police service, Whatever was going on has nothing to do with the police in the sense of whoever is trying to reach some understanding of events that have happened. So that the, the whole inquiry has got nothing to do with the police in that sense, notwithstanding the fact that it involved police officers. So that's point number one. Mm. Point number two, the timing. Uh, typically, we do interdiction, or interdiction occurs where 
prior to the commencement of proceedings or investigations into some disciplinary matters, it is determined that the continuing presence of the person whose activities have given rise to the investigation, his, his <laughs> continued presence in office may hamper or affect the investigation in some way, then the person may be required to stand aside for the period that the investigation is taking place. And not when the investigation has already started and midway. So that, that is the unusual part of it. In other words, if they really intended to interdict them, even as part of the investigation that was being conducted by parliament, then it ought to have been done way before the investigation started. However, if you wait for the investigation to start and the people are midway, I mean, giving evidence and so forth and so on, that any conduct that seeks to give the public a different impression or picture of what is going on is an unnecessary interference in the work of parliament or that particular inquiry that was being conducted. So that is what made the whole thing unusual. And in my view, unwarranted, having regard to the important part that even that inquiry itself had nothing to do with what was the police service inquiry under the police service act or under the police service regulations. Mm -hmm. So that, that is why I thought they are, they are, they are, what they did amounted to an interference with the important work of parliament. The question on the lips of uh, many is why the sudden reversal? Well, uh, for Superintendent uh, George Asari and his lawyers, they suspect the decision to suspend the interdiction of the police officers is to shield the IGP from uh, also being interdicted as he makes an appearance before Parliament's ad hoc committee. Listen. It could be because the precedent they had set was that if you appear before the parliamentary inquiry as a police officer, you are going to be interdicted. So if the IGP is appearing before the committee, it means that he, he, has, he has set the roadmap that he would have to step aside. That is what it actually meant. So it's a way of he also circumventing his own rules. So because of that, I mean, let's suspend the interdict. Because I think they ought to have known right from day one. This tape was released over a month ago. I'm sure the police got copies of the tape. They, they, they never thought of uh, interdicting them and conducting investigations. It's only when Parliament began its work, and even that nothing happened until names began, the, the witnesses began to mention some names, then they, they, they decided to interdict them. You understand? Because clearly it's an afterthought. The interdiction was an afterthought. Nobody is saying that the police service cannot institute their own display action against their, their staff. No, nobody is saying that. Our client is a law-abiding citizen. He's ready to conform with all the legal steps that have been provided by law. And we are already cooperating with Parliament. We've been invited to appear on Tuesday in camera, and we are ready to do that. If after the parliamentary inquiry, the police service also wants to also do their own investigations, I mean, yeah, it's fine.
Uh, let's get on Zoom now. Dr. Adam Bonas, a security analyst, joining us uh, now. A lot unfolding uh, in the last uh, 24 hours. We've seen some videos also circulating uh, on social media. Uh, how does that inform the way forward uh, into this whole scandal? Well, uh, good afternoon. Well, I think that if you remember, I think Superintendent uh, Asari alleged that some contract had been given. And so this dawn or so, someone forwarded a video that is circulating on social media to me. Uh, and you see a superintendent, not a, a salary, but some persons who uh, were in, you know, in view of camera and Bugri Nabu also in view of the camera. I believe one of them had uh, you know, a bargain device or a secret camera recording what was going on. And they seem to be interrogating uh, Bugri Nabu, wanting to know whether uh, the contract they are talking about. And you can see that Bugri Nabu actually said no. Uh, the contract uh, was, I think, largely, it was awarded to somebody else called Michael. I stand to be corrected, but it was awarded to somebody else called Michael. And uh, he actually went to ask the IGP or something of a sort, whether, uh, why, and if the, uh, and the IGP, he thought the IGP would tell him that because the contract was awarded to Michael, uh, IGP will ask the guy to give him money. But as he pressed, IGP ignored him. And secondly, uh, they asked him whether he's taking money he, anyone is paying him by the police, IGP, and he said, no, uh, he's not on anybody's, no one is paying him, uh, no one has paid him anything. And so when you listen to the video that is circulating, it seems to me, largely, that is a vindication of uh, what some of us already know, that uh, most of these things that have been put out, most of these things, testimonies given are packed of lies. But it is good that these things are coming out because then when you come to swear an oath in parliament and it comes out that you lie you'll be cited for perjury which is criminal under our criminal jurisprudence and so as far as i'm concerned there is opportunity to check and double check to know whether a contract because he said he's he's saying that an authority was given a contract you can anyone at all can go and check with i'm sure a procurement and we know that our procurement in this country is governed by law. So you can go and check to be able to tell if indeed uh, Bugri Nabu was given a contract or even if you want to say Bugri Nabu collects money, he's on a payroll because I'm told he said he's on a payroll. If indeed he's on a payroll, we all know that government workers or payroll would mean that you are paid and there should be evidence. You, we can't just throw information out there and say, oh, the person... Uh, is, is collecting, has been paid, and you don't have any shred of evidence to suggest, suggest that this person is taking money from, what do you call it, uh, uh, ABCD. And so as far as I'm concerned, these are wild uh, allegations that must be substantiated. The committee or whoever is investigating, this is very simple. They can always investigate because these, these things... When you do them, they are documented. When you pay, you are paid. Someone is on your payroll. I run businesses, and my, my, my workers are paid monthly. So if my workers are paid monthly, 
and you want to come and check that do I pay my workers? I pay my taxes. If you want to come and check if I pay my taxes, you should have evidence that maybe I have an audited account. I do ABCD. I run business. I've been running businesses for probably the last uh, two and a half decades. And so if you come and you want records of people who, we, who contracted us, including even multimedia, who are one of our uh, you know, clients in the past, we would have evidence that we've dealt with all manner of organizations in this country, including international law. And these are mat a matter of record. And so when you hear people, uh, you know, put out wild allegations like this, you begin to wonder whether they know that these things can, you need to go behind the scene and be able to substantiate, provide evidence, uh, you know, to confirm or uh, otherwise. And so as far as I'm concerned, these things should be checked. And I would ask that maybe it will be in the interest of the public because they've come to say the IGP is not correct. They said the IGP has given a contract, and this was said publicly. They said the IGP had done what? He is giving money to Bukri Nabu. They said IGP, Pomad uh, members don't come for meetings. It's, you, can't, you cannot go and meet IGP behind closed doors and ask him to answer to these questions. When these allegations have been peddled or have been put out there, you want him to come and show you and, and ask him questions under oath to say what they are saying is true or what they are saying is not true. So I would go with those who are saying that. Give him the opportunity. Uh Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. If there are some of the things you want to ask him, uh, on the quiet because you have some tapes. That will be fine. But those things that have been put out there publicly, the full glare of the, of the media, I will say give him the opportunity. Let him come and then, uh, you know, put him in the witness box to answer you whether he's correct or he's not correct. If he says I'm not correct, you ask him why are you not correct as an IGP? If he says I am correct, you ask him what makes you correct? What have you done since you became IGP? What, have, what are you doing? But if you ask me, I will tell you that change makers usually go through these things. Those who try to bring in hard change would go through these things. As far as I'm concerned, uh, these are disgruntled people who wanted to break the eights by scheming to subvert the will of the people by saying, give me the position of IGP and I'll break the eight for you. And that, that is what uh, they went out there to, 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 to do, which we have it on tape. They can't deny it. Is well, this not, is, this not, is this not prejudicing perhaps the outcome of what it is that the ad hoc committee no, may decide? I'm not, I'm, I am mm. speaking to uh, the testimony given. They, I, I get that point. Uh, yeah, I get the point. I'm just yes. asking if that so would I'm not pre prejudice the, the outcome. Yes. Mm -hmm. No, I, I'm not prejudicing. Mm -hmm. I'm not, what I'm saying is that I am speaking to the testimony that was adduced in parliament, they ask them questions and they agree that yes, they ask them questions and they say, I'm, a, I'm this, I'm that, I'm this. You heard it. 
And so it is not somebody, it's not a reported speech. This is something that we all saw it on your network and other uh, networks. And the videos are there. So as far as I'm concerned, I'm not concocting anything. All that I'm trying to say is that they have admitted that it is their voice. They were, they met Bugri Nabu more than once. They have admitted to all this. So mine is that if this is not so bad, so to the extent that everything we do in this country, including even our security agencies, is politicized so that people can decide to say, you, you are NDC, or you, you are MPP. And the moment they use that brush to paint you, you must be treated differently. So when you ask me, you know, suspension, I had the, I think uh, they are the lawyer for one of them or for all of them speak. You see, I tend to agree with him in a way. I tend to agree with him in a way when it comes to why it took so long for the interdiction to happen. If you ask me, because I spoke to your network when the leaked tape came out. And one of the first persons you would have spoken to, and I said it that this would need interdiction. Even before the, the Speaker of Parliament decided to form the committee. So I would agree to the fact that it should have happened. And at the moment, the sittings are going on. Obviously, every reasonable person reading in between the lines will tell you that. Uh, why did you wait for this long? Because the Police Service Act has been... Uh, you know, in service for a very long time. It didn't, they didn't, it's gone through various amendments. But the portions that talk about major crimes and major offenses and minor offenses and whatever, a major offense is indulging yourself in political controversies. And we all have seen this. And so maybe the police, I don't know for some reason, I'm not holding brief for them, should have acted swiftly so that uh, whether the parliamentary probe takes place or not, these people would have by now been facing a service inquiry. If they now want to go to court or write to the police through their lawyers to say, we want to finish with the parliamentary probe before we come here, or they write to parliament, to the committee, that we want to finish with the police inquiry before we come to you, they would have the opportunity to be heard. But I want to believe that we can have concurrent hearings or you know process but unfortunately i will say that uh, a police council had it meeting and i am told reliably i'm even seeing that on social media then i ask questions and i'm told it is true that the itp himself recused himself from this that particular sitting because his name had been mentioned and recused himself before the council approved the, or the council agreed that interdict them. Then I'm told that when when they had to suspend the interdiction, uh, he also recused himself as to whether it is true or it is not true. I've seen it on social media. I checked with reliable sources, and I'm told that that is what happened. In fact, I've checked with some police council members, and they said, well, that was true. And so I will mention their name. They said it was true. He was not at the meeting. But as for the reversal or suspension, uh, I know there was no council meeting to, to do it because it happened yesterday, you know, cabinet sat right. yesterday. I don't know whether it was a cabinet decision. I don't want to go there, but mine is that, uh, you know, early days yet, things are thickening up and we need to de-escalate. We need to de-escalate and 
you know, put these things in the right perspective. Okay. Because we are going into 2024. We cannot create a situation of suspicion where people, we are going in 2024, and there's fear that if we are not careful, there's going to be massive rigging and massive mm. cheating and massive uh, electoral violence and what have you. All so right. we need to, you know, tread cautiously, if you ask me. Mm. Dr. Bonner, thank you uh, for talking to us this afternoon. Thank you. And thanks for staying with us here on the polls. Uh, when we get back, there are lots of stories making the rounds, including the uh, National Democratic Congress taking on the Electoral Commission uh, over the limit limited voters registration exercise. Please take <laughs>
we've witnessed incredible bonds. The rise of legends in the most challenging of times. And the most unforgettable moments that kept us at the edge of our seat. Everything up till now was just the beginning. Legends go head to head as timelines have collapsed for the ultimate showdown. Welcome to Big Brother Niger All Stars. Starts 23rd July. Headline sponsor Money Point. And this is your election headquarters. The NPP MP for Doma is the Paul Chum. Very much says the Electoral Commission, as an independent body, is constitutionally allowed to decide on whether or not it would want to hold the voters' registration exercise. The EC has come under intense pressure from the opposition National Democratic Congress, who have sued the electoral management body to decentralize the process to. The, uh, which is uh, to the electoral uh, area level, uh, which is the concern of the main political party. Uh, speaking uh, to journalists, uh, the legislator, however, asked the EC to engage, um, to reach out, uh, and to also ensure that they have a compromise on this matter. Listen. Maybe the constitution is clear that every person or every citizen who is 18 years and above must be given opportunity to vote. It is their civil rights, and no one should take it away from them. So the EC has a duty to ensure that anybody who is 18 years and above <laughs> casts his or her vote. However, the processes of doing that must always or must also be good, must fully, uh, must, must be, how do you call it? It must be exhausted. Uh, it's a limited registration in the first place. Obviously, yes, if you decentralize it to a certain point, some of us will all be saved. I mean, as we see it, we've been taxed to see how people get votes, uh, get registered and all that. But also, don't forget, as a citizen, you also have a duty to, know, to, to make sure that you are registered. So even though, yes, we are calling on EC to ensure that every effort that they can uh, they can do or they can they can put in to ensure that these people are registered without any difficulties, we are also calling on the citizens to help the EC achieve that aim. We must it must be a win-win. I, I I appreciate what my seniors or the other party people are doing. Yes, this is the right. Call. Paul Chumberma says uh, matters of this nature should have been discussed at IPAC. That's why we have IPAC. We must sit and be able to draw, draw. And it should always be difficult. Yes, one would say that uh, maybe the decision came up at IPAC and the uh, GC may have resisted 
what some of them said. Because you see also, probably what we look at is financial strength, look at his um, 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 staff strength and all that. But this is limited. Even though one will say that, oh, over three years now, they have not done any registration, so it cannot be limited. But yes, but you, 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 you also know that he, they have to look at it well. So we will call on Yisi that if there is something that they can do to help us, please, they should do. However, if you're a citizen and you're 18 years and above, it is your duty. It is your civil right. You don't need somebody to come and tell you to do your civil right. It's about time that Ghana, we should, we should also let we the citizens do what we are supposed to do. Even in the Bible, even in the Bible, when, God, when Jesus Christ was performing miracles, there were some people that when he performed the miracle, he expected to do Okay, so uh, how do we deal with this and what exactly is the concern of some of these majority MPs uh, in the House? Uh, parliamentary correspondent, Quick Quasanti, is uh, joining us with details on that. Um, quite a rare outburst uh, from an MP who's on the side of the governing party. At the NDC says that the system must be decentralized. And mind you, at the local level and in those elections, no political party is sponsoring this. So what's the concern of this MP? In fact, um, if you look at this MP and the concerns he's expressing, his belief is that the Electoral Commission, although having the powers to be able to decide specifically where to hold these registrations, they must also take into consideration the bigger concerns mm-hmm. that the public has expressed. We already know that yesterday, the NDC and four other political parties filed an action in the Supreme Court seeking an order to compel the Electoral Commission mm-hmm. to decentralize this process to the electoral area level. That matter has not been heard yet. In fact, a date has not even been set, and we expect that Monday, the Chief Justice, upon her return from some official duties, will set the date. The minority also say that they find that bizarre, but they are also seeking an interlocutory injunction which will prohibit the Electoral Commission from going ahead to do this already. There are those who have said that that is an action that is bound to fail because the Supreme Court have already said on countless occasions that they are very much unwilling to injunct constitutional bodies from going ahead with their duties. But mind you, this registration exercise is happening on Tuesday. And so the minority the, and their mother political party, the NDC, they are racing against time to be able to get some order from the court to be able to stop the Electoral Commission or at least get it to decentralize the process. But if you listen to this MP's concern is that the EC clearly has the power to be able to do what it's purporting to do and that if there is any change that must happen, that should be by the Electoral Commission's own discretion. In the past few days, I've been speaking with some very high-ranking officials of the, of, of the Electoral Commission. And they said that they are dumb they are not going to change course, and that on Tuesday when the registration starts, that is going to happen in the district offices. So the NDC on two fronts, today, for instance, they were in court having to do with matters regarding their protests at the Bank of Ghana, and their other side also fighting this matters having to do with the East. Former President John Romani Mahama, amongst the list of um, individuals asking for the process to be decentralized, why is the EC not yielding to this? I think a part of it mainly has to do with budgetary constraints. The Electoral Commission, although has not publicly admitted that that is the concern, but the insider information some of us are getting is that the Electoral Commission may be struggling in terms of its ability to raise enough revenue to be able to do, to do that. There are more than 9,000 polling stations and electoral areas across the country. That means that the Electoral Commission would have to double personnel, they would have to double equipment, and then they have to quite triple the amount of money they are going to spend on that. And so that is one big issue that the EC is, is, is binging its guns on. The other point has to do with the EC's insistence that this is a limited voter registration and not 
the wholesale voter registration where people can go and register. This is just open for people who turned 18 since 2019, the last time that there was a limited voter registration exercise. And so they, they believe that these persons should be able to turn up in the offices of the EEC to, to register. But that is the sticking point. The Electoral Commission says they'll continue. They are, they are going to go ahead. We want to see if the Supreme Court will first inject it or whether or not they will give any ruling that will suggest that the Electoral Commission must decentralize this process. Uh, and Sam, I also insinuating that this might be a payback time for the EC, uh, given what the NDC has been doing with the CI, CI regarding Parliament. Um, you know, reforms ahead of the 2024 elections. Exactly. In fact, one of the reasons why this voter registration exercise has delayed this much is because the Electoral Commission was hoping that Parliament would approve its constitutional instrument, the proposed CI, that would have made the Ghana card the sole identity document. The EC hasn't gotten that. And so if you look at this registration exercise that is going to happen, persons who don't have the Ghana card can rely on the guarantee of two persons to be able to register. Although for a person to guarantee, you cannot guarantee for more than 10 persons. Those are the concerns. And so the Electoral Commission is clearly going ahead with this with one point in mind that it may be payback time to the minority. Because ordinarily, some negotiations would have taken place. We understand that the Electoral Commission wanted to try and negotiate its way around this. They didn't get that because even the majority had already sold something to the minority and gotten a buy-in and all of them signing onto a document to do that. So it appears the minority will have to keep on because today, for instance, they were in court. They didn't get so much of a good victory having to do with their Bank of Ghana protest that they want to get into. But this one is also something that they are following closely because the ability of more persons to register hinges on this NDC's ability to win 2024 election. And that is why they are really much on this. Uh, there's the question about the status of the CI itself and, and what Parliament intends to do with the, the bill going forward or the, uh, you the know, instrument going forward. So the CI is currently undergoing what is called the pre-laying stage. So what is happening is that leadership on both sides are discussing the ideas having to do with the CI. But as of now, both sides have already picked their position. Initially, the majority supported the Electoral Commission to make the Ghana card a sole identity document. But later on, you, you, you recall that government wanted to introduce some three taxes, and they were struggling to get their numbers on the floor. And so they went into some alliance with the minority that helped us pass these taxes, and then we can support you in your opposition to the ECCI. So on the day they passed the taxes, they came together and did what is called the Committee of the Whole, mm -hmm. and then put together a report signed by the Speaker of Parliament himself that recommended to the Electoral Commission that if you want this CI to go through in Parliament, then you would have to amend the part that having to do with the Ghana card being the sole identity document. Yeah. Introduce the guarantee system. The EC, as we know now, say that that's not something that they are going to consider at all. Yeah. And so the CI is at, at a standstill. It is not moving through the stages in Parliament. The NDC case in court, um, what are the major reliefs at this, at this moment? So there's a major order that they are seeking that the Supreme Court must order the Electoral Commission to decentralize the process to the electoral area level. They believe that that will afford the number of Ghanaians who have 10, 18 since 2020 to be able to register. In fact, if you look at certain parts of the country, like Afram Plains North, for instance, there are so many other communities some of it, you would have to travel about four, five, six hours mm. to be able to get to Donkokrum, which is the capital of the, of the district. And so the concern is that so many of these people are not going to bear the cost that comes with it to come all the way to Donkokrum to come and register. So mainly the, EC, the NDC is seeking an order directed at the Electoral Commission to decentralize the process 
and allow the registration process to be held in the electoral areas in the various constituencies mm-hmm. as part of the district office as well. So that means that at your various polling station or the place that you elect your assemblyman, the EC would have to set up at that place and, and register. And so that is why we are all waiting for the court to set some date for the conversation to happen and then the ruling will be expected. Uh, and if, if we're to take a look at the deadline uh, and, and the timeline for the elections itself, there are fears that these concerns may not have been addressed at the time of the election. Definitely. In fact, if you look at the, the registration that's just about to happen, that will happen next week, Tuesday. If the court process does not get through before then, and the EC starts the process and ends it, what will be the utility of any court order anyway in the first place? So that's the first point. There's also the district-level elections, which is coming up in December, 19 December to be specific. And the minority have been insisting that the EC needs to get some of these things in place before that election. And without them, the EC may struggle to hold that election. The EC, on the other hand, has said that they needed a CI to be able to organize this new election. The CI has been at a standstill for some time now. So it appears the Electoral Commission would have to rely on the, the, the existing CI, which they have been seeking to amend, to organize that election and to continue doing what it's going to do. But what we foresee is that the majority, at some point, may bow to political pressure and cave in regarding their agreement with the majority. Because, mind you, all the EC needs to do is to lay the CI, to give it to the majority leader, to lay it on the days, and it's late. In 21 days, if Parliament is not able to get two-thirds support to annul that CI, the CI would have matured into law. And so all the majority need to do is to say that now we've drawn our support for the minority. Once the CI is laid, the NDC cannot, on its own, get 173 MPs to vote to reject the but CI. But that will also be detrimental to the majority side, knowing yes, that there it, are some that, that, means, that clearly means that they would have to hope that in the future mm-hmm. they get their numbers on the floor every time there's any crucial vote to be taken. And getting into 2024, you can be rest assured that there are a lot crucial business that are going to come in from the government. In 2024, maybe government may wish to do a lot of projects or, pre, or, or, or take loans to do projects that will inure to its benefits in the 2024 election. And if they come to the floor, the minority are in opposition, they will struggle. And when is Parliament resuming, and what's likely to happen to the CI from the Electoral Commission? So Parliament is expected to resume somewhere third week of October, and we expect that when that comes, the, 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 the CI, the EC, will make another push. I'm sure within this break, they're having conversations with the leadership of the House to try and see if they can reach a compromise. But I believe that what is attracting the attention of the minority now, aside of voter registration exercise, as well as the, the CI, is the concerns having to do with the Bank of Ghana governor and his deputies. We know that they've been in court. Today, again, they were in court. Demand, you know, the police had sued them, seeking to restrain them from going ahead with the protest that was originally scheduled for, for, for last Tuesday, which has also been moved now to Tuesday. Today at 2 p.m., there was expected to be a meeting between the minority and the police hierarchy. That meeting has also been called off now. So, clearly, the minority fighting a lot of battles on all fronts. They are hoping that next week, Tuesday, they'll be able to protest and demand that the Bank of Ghana governor resign. The sticking point is that they have a disagreement with the police as to how, as to whether or not they can pick it at the Bank of Ghana premises, which the police say is a security zone. They will not be allowed to do so. The minorities say even the White House, even the Flagstaff are people match there sometimes. So what are you talking about when you say we cannot match to the Bank of Ghana? Head of it? So that is, it appears the minority in parliament is focused on that battle now, out of the bigger battles that will come when House resume 
whilst leaving this matter having to do with the ECCI and the voter registration to his mother party, the NDC. Uh, thank you for giving us uh, the latest uh, from Parliament. And that's Kwekwasante giving us uh, all you need to know about the concerns by the opposition NDC on the limited registration exercise. Contractors of the Ghana uh, Highways Authority have finally uh, arrived at the Accra Toll Plaza uh, on the Tema Motorway to commence uh, remedial works on the damaged toll boots there. After almost two years of neglect, the Highway Authority uh, gave the assurance uh, 24 hours ago of plans that it will clear three of the eight uh, boots there to enhance free flow of traffic and also to avert any form of uh, further crashes on the stretch. This follows uh, separate uh, accidents uh, that occurred Sunday, September 3rd, uh, which led uh, to the death of at least one person, leaving four others injured. Speaking to Join News, Director of Safety and Environment at the Ghana Highways Authority, Joseph Achu Amajaka, indicated that remedial works, uh, which will cost the taxpayer some one million cities, uh, is expected to last for about two weeks. Carlos Caloni has been interacting with him. Officials of the Ghana Highways Authority were here and gave us the assurance that today they would be here to commence their remedial works. Indeed, we are here at the Accra toll booth and I have with me the uh, director in charge of uh, environment and safety at the Ghana Highways Authority to tell us whether the work is actually starting today or not. All right, so we see you here today. Tell us, are we seeing work today? What are we supposed to see today here? Yes, today, principally, we are here to introduce the contractor to the site, give him possession of the site, and to show him what he needs to do. So tomorrow, we will see the rail activity. We will start the rail works tomorrow. But by this afternoon, we'll be mobilizing resources to the site for commencement of the works tomorrow. This particular contractor you, you've brought to the site, what is it coming to do? Yes, what we need most now is lightning, especially for the contractor who will be doing demolition works to work in the night. So principally, they are streetlight com- uh, contractors. So they are here to install the street lighting facilities to enhance visibility at night and also to afford the contractor who will be doing the demolition works uh, visibility in the night to undertake his work. So we anticipate that within one week, they should be able to fix the solar-powered street lights, both at the Accra end and then the Tema end. And then once the idea are finished, then the main contractor will be doing the demolition, will move in and then start his work. So we anticipate that uh, within one week plus, at least we should get the work done for people to be able to use this facility in safety and efficiently. So we are looking at maximum two weeks? Two weeks. But it could be less. It could be less. If, uh, if they are able to expedite the works, then, then the contractor is going to do the main works. I think within two or three days, it should be able to demolish the concrete facilities and slash some part of the canopy. And then, uh, so the understanding is that we have two contractors that are coming to work on this project. One is coming to fix the uh, street light, and the other is coming to do the actual demolition of the work. How much is it costing us to do all of this thing? Uh, just a little bit over 1 million Ghana cities. And that takes care of uh, the 1 million. It covers uh, both the demolition works and the solar the street light. So it's just a minor work. It's not a major work that we are doing. It's just a minor work. Okay, so beyond this work, after the two weeks, what is the next plan for the motorway? The next plan is to also tackle the lightning along the rest of the motorway. And then also the design of the, uh, what do you call it, upgrading of the motorway from a two-lane drag carriageway to three-lane drag carriageway with uh, interchanges at various points to facilitate interconnectivity. Uh, so 
we think that this before the year ends we should be able to finish works so on maybe the, the design and then thereafter there will be procurement and then the, once the contractor is procured then we'll see major activities in the course of next year what is the immediate plan for the portals the portals i think for plans are far advanced procurement measures have been initiated for selection of a competent contractor to come and fix the portals so i think before the, this month ends we'll see some activity to address all the portals and make sure that we provide the road users with a, a smooth and safe uh, road facility all right so that is the director of uh, safety and environment at the ghana highways authority giving us those updates we also have the contractor who is actually coming to commence the lighting work at this particular spot to share some uh, details with us so we understand you are the contractor coming to work. give us your name i'm engineer Kalenam from preforce all right so uh, what is the work what are you actually coming to do here share with us okay so right now we want to understand uh part of the usage of where our scope of work will fall so uh you can see us from the beginning we took some measurements that is the emergency shoulder of the road and right after the shoulder we understand um, there will not be any utility there so we can actually install our street lights there so uh realistically if i will uh if we will start where we'll start work tomorrow but the installation team will be on site to mark out the pole positions so we see you are here but we don't see any um, uh, vehicle that or equipment that you are coming to work with why, why so yes like i was saying we want to understand uh what the client wants and we also advise in addition so uh from the beginning we took the measurement like i said so we will then install our pole right after the shoulder like i was saying so uh that is why we are not here with any equipment now now we are now going to our drawing board our installation team will be on site to mark out again tomorrow they will be on site to start excavation do we know how much the lighting aspect is going to cost the taxpayer well for now the works department is is what is is the team working on on the cost uh, of that, that particular aspect we the engineers just do the bill of quantities and then we, we we take it from the works department to start work so the understanding is that two contractors are actually uh, going to be working on this uh, project and that of Terma. the first contractor uh, is coming to install uh, street lights here to ensure that there is higher visibility for the main contractor who is actually coming to also work and cut off some of these things uh, to be able to work in the night so the first contractor will be working within some days four days to five days he will install a, a street light then the second contractor will come he is actually going to ensure that this particular uh, damage booth is removed from the road and this very one behind me here will also go and the other one uh, in my extreme left will also go to ensure that where i'm standing becomes a free road for vehicles coming from Accra to Estema without making a detour to the other side, then they can go straight to Tema. Reporting from the Accra to boat here, my name is Carlos Caloni for Joy News. We take you now to the Volta region because uh, the personnel and the Ghana Immigration Services New Sector Command in the Volta region have intercepted 80 slabs of um, 80 parcels of uh, substances suspected to be uh, Indian. Um, uh, the alleged uh, M was uh, intercept intercepted at uh, Tikwi, uh, which borders Togo in the whole municipality uh, with the suspected um, content concealed in sacks. Ivy Setoji has the rest of the story.
The Nive Sector Command of the Ghana Immigration Service has intercepted about 80 bags of suspected India hemp containing 80 parcels kept in a tipui in the whole municipal of the Voto region after a tip-off. The Nive Sector Commander ACI Al-Haji Abdullah career in an interview with Joy News narrated where the parcels of India hemp were kept. We acted based on intel. We had an intel that uh, the, the goose uh, suspected to be Indian hemp were lodged at a particular place at Atipe near the clinic. So we quickly mobilized our men, did it with uh, uh, Ghana Revenue Authority, that is Customs Division, and deployed them to the area. We got there, secured the grounds, and went searching and actually got the goose that were kept in two separate rooms. So what we did was to immediately convey the goose to the border post for safekeeping. And that is what we have actually done. ACI Al-Hadi Abdullah Zakaria called for collaboration between the public and immigration in order to clamp down the menace. Collaboration. We need their collaboration. This is a national security issue. Uh, drug peddling is a serious crime and we need collaboration of the citizen so that we'll be able to arrest the perpetrators of this crime. And so we would like to plead with them when they get their information, they should be ready to share it with us and this could save our society, our children. The acting Voto Regional Commander, Assistant Commissioner of Immigration, ACI Noah Ahumka Yeboa, who also used the opportunity to tour other sectors of immigration in the region, commended the men at Nive for the good job done over the past years and urged them to do more. Well, what I would say is that the men have done a human's job. And this area or this sector, the Nive sector, which goes through Shiatipi and the Ujukope and others, they have consistently performed in terms of intersections. If you look at their records from 2021, there have been series of intersections involving narcotics, but this is the, the largest of it all, because we have had 2,000 plus slaps. This one, given the estimates that in each slab, you are going to have roughly about 80. About 80 times 80, that's 64,000. We are looking at give and take 64,000. That's huge. And if this is what is happening in the community, we can only say you, I mean, we can only encourage our officers to do more. The communication from the CD is to tell them that he appreciates what they are doing and they should keep doing it and that they will extend every support that there is for them to do the work that they are charged to do. So the suspects are on the run and the command is still investigating the issue to bring the suspects to book. And up north, uh, British High Commissioner to Ghana, Harriet Thompson, has lauded Ghana's uh, parliament for amending the Criminal Offences Act, which will stop the public from engaging in witchcraft accusations. The British High Commissioner indicated her outfit will continue to support the initiatives that will stop the abuse of women and 
uh, also guarantee the rights of the vulnerable groups uh, in the northeast region. She was addressing uh, inmates of the Gambanga Witches Camp at Gambaga as part of her official visit to the region. The British High Commissioner arrived in the region in the company of high-value officers at the commission. Madame Hariata's arrival in the region coincided with a flood disaster that killed eight people and destroyed several properties. The High Commissioner was also in the region at a time of increasing concerns about the threat from violent extremists and other security concerns owing to the recent repatriation of some Burkina Bay nationals in the region and the escalation of violence in Boko. Her first port of call was the office of the regional minister at the regional coordinating directorate in the capital, Nalirgu. The regional minister and his senior staff at the RCC received the commissioner and her delegation. It's an honor to have a person of your caliber taking time off your heavy shadows to call on the people of the northeast region. Just to let you know that this is quite a very long bridge with a lot of uh, challenges in our pursuit for development. It is because of those challenges that the people and the chiefs ask for the region, so that if we decentralize power closer to the people, we may be able to better prosecute our development agenda. PowerPoint address of the situational report of the region was then presented to the commissioner and her delegation. The commissioner, while explaining the reason for the visit, extended her condolences to the victims of the recent flood disaster. I'm sorry to be coming at such a difficult time for this region. My condolences, those of my staff, my team as well, on the loss that you have experienced as a result of the recent floods, the loss of life. From the coordinating directorate, the regional minister led the High Commissioner to the Palace of the Traditional Authority in line with the established protocols. Her Excellency, after being welcomed by the Nairi and his elders, said her visit to the region was among others to ensure maximum impact of their work across human and economic development, peace, security and stability. We recognize that uh, the northern regions of Ghana experience more difficult, more challenging human development outcomes uh, and less economic development than the rest of Ghana. She added that her visit was in line with her responsibilities to strengthen and move forward the relationship between Ghana and Great Britain. As the High Commissioner to Ghana from the UK, my responsibility is to strengthen that relationship still further and to move it into the future. For me to be able to do that properly, I need to understand the whole of the country, not just sit in Accra and think that Accra is Ghana. The overlord, Nabahaga Abdullahi Mahami Shariga, expressed his gratitude for the visit, but also acknowledged and praised the warm relationship between the two nations. The Nairi, however, made several requests for assistance, including scholarship programs for students in his jurisdiction and relief items for victims of the recent flooding in the region. The High Commissioner's visit to the region also came as police are investigating the killing of a 60-year-old woman in connection with witchcraft accusations in the Yunyu Swanee district from the Nairi, the High Commissioner ended her visit at the Gambaga Witches Camp where she interacted with and donated food items to the inmates. We want to make it clear to Your Excellency 
but before her interaction with the image, the High Commissioner visited the caretaker of the camp, the chief of Gambaga and his elders. That the Gambarana does not go hunting for witches or dragging them to come here. The Gambarana rather serves as a, a, the director of a resettlement area. So this is a resettlement camp and not a witch camp. The palace, however, called for adequate education and sensitization before the passage of the bill. Nobody is against the law, but we know that there may be certain consequences behind it unless there is an in-depth education that will extend to the rural areas. Otherwise, in fear that when they declare anybody a witch, they will be arrested and maybe be sentenced. They may lynch them without the knowledge of anybody. The High Commissioner speaking to the image said her office will continue to work with local partners to ensure their rights and dignity were respected. We are happy that this law has been approved by Parliament that would stop people from being accused of witchcraft because we don't want other people to be treated the way that some of you have been treated. Human rights are as important as anybody else's human rights. And so we will continue to work with Sobtaba and with other people in Ghana who are supporting you to make sure that those human rights are respected and those of your children and your children's children. Ilias Sutanko from Nalirugu for Joy News. And now the veterinary office for Kuru West has uh, confirmed the outbreak of the African swine fever in the municipality. A local farmer there has lost almost 600 of his pigs worth 2.2 million Ghana cities to this outbreak. According to the veterinary office, uh, although the disease doesn't pose threats to humans, it spreads rapidly. The affected farmer, Dr. Kwesi Ose, is worried that the situation could erode economic gains of farmers in the municipality if not contained quickly. Recently, we had some issues in our farms, and after uh, a test was carried out uh, in Accra, they find out that uh, swine uh, fever, African swine fever, this is the case that we have here. Um, up to date, we have over 530 uh, pigs and piglets that have already died. Now we have only 20 uh, uh, piglets left. In the farm. Now, I don't know what to do. All what I'm, uh, I'm trying to do is to wait until the, uh, the system will be cleared up. I think the doctors are, have been coming here, the, uh, the vets are here, and the directors are here. So uh, we are waiting for them to tell us the way forward. Um, yes, I don't want to give up because, you know, I know that so many people have been going through such uh, uh, situation. But me, you know, I will continue. Only if I get some support from uh, various places, I know that it will help me to continue the farms. Now, uh, when you look at the pig uh, uh, industry in, in Ghana, we lack a lot of meat. So if I give up, it will be difficult. So I cannot give up. Uh, uh, um, the money right, right now I can calculate that if I sell them, uh, even each one, if I sell each one for even 3,000 or 2,500, I have lost more than 2.5 uh, 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 or 2.2 million Ghana cities. Still on the story, the Municipal Veterinary Director, Dr. Marcos, is advising farmers to report any symptoms uh, or for swift action.
recorded the African swine fever outbreak okay. uh, on the 28th of August. So we are still on it. Um, in the district, uh, now we are at Akobo Farms and uh, we've lost more than 500 pigs to the outbreak. Okay. The farmers, we are advising all of them to be patient um, and do not uh, allow any new pig to come to your farm. Do not move your pigs. Um, do not sell the pigs within Coral West. Um, we, we are organizing a, a seminar for the farmers. So we put them through all the do's and don'ts. But for now, they should all come down. The situation is under control. Zoomers of pigs, yeah. The virus does not affect uh, human beings, so consumers of pigs are, are safe. Yeah, just that uh, the, the farms that are affected, we don't want uh, the, the pig meat to go outside due to the spread. Mm -hmm. It's not infectious to humans, but it spreads so quickly, and when it gets to your farm, it will clear all your pigs within weeks. Okay. So we want to stop that economic loss, even though it's not zoonotic. We are looking out for the econ economic losses. And now some parents are raising red flags over the dangers posed by a store 12 unit classroom block project to their children at St. Augustine Basic School in Nongwa due to limited space at the facility with a population of over uh, 500 junior high school students. Uh, they have been accommodated on a Presbyterian school compound elsewhere. A vehicle recently knocked down two of the school children crossing the busy Accra Nongwa stretch in search of toilet facility. Tama correspondent Kwame Yanka has the rest of the story. We recorded the case of the African swine fever in Quail West. And in fact, it's a big blow to us in the sense that um, our farmer, Dr. Kosiwusu, has lost in excess of 500 pigs to this virus. Um, though it's not harmful, it's not zoonotic, it is something we need to manage in order to contain it. And also, he was a nominee. The St. Augustine Basic School 12 Unit Classroom Block Project in Nungwa started about eight years ago under the then Lejokuku Crow War Assembly to replace the existing structure at the time over safety concerns as well as growing population. However, due to splits of Lejokuku Crow War Municipality into Lejokuku and Crow War Municipalities around 2018, it says to have affected the pace of the project. Junior high school students of the school are accommodated at the Presbyterian School Compound at Nungwamami. Past students and parent Sandra Otu in an interview with Joy News shares how she is alarmed any time the child leaves home for school. It's currently here but he has to cross the road to the other place because now the JHS are sharing with the, the Presby school. It's not safe because last time he came home and to give us complaint about his two mates being knocked down by a vehicle because of the um, they have to live here to the other side and coming here today I'm sad because when I was here we, we, we have access to the toilet facilities and all that. Some pupils are pleading with authorities that be to do the need for. The school have no toilet. We have no toilet. Either when the teacher is teaching, we lose the teaching. We can't sit down and learn. So we need to go out and uh, poo -poo. 
the time we will come back, the lesson is over. Our school is not completed. We beg him to come and complete our school for us. When we are in school, others have running stomach, so they need to go out to the washroom. And something can happen to them anyway. While the teacher is teaching, then we students, we are going out to visit the washroom. It's a problem which we are facing in this school. School Management Committee Chair Paul Odum says the pupils are exposed to danger due to the uncompleted project. They will be moving to the other side because the facility is here and that is Nungwa Mami. That's where the school is. And uh, because of this balustrade, we can't accommodate the P6 kids here. But it will be very risky to leave this um, balustrade here, if you can see them here. You can't leave the open space like this for these kids. And we don't want any risk or accident. And Presby too, they also need their building. So that's the reason why we want to maintain the case here as we are entering into the next academic year. Assembly member for Nkpoh Electoral Area, Labaran Abdullah Osman, who doubles as the Social Services Committee Chair at Crowell Municipal Assembly, says several steps have been taken for the completion of the building. Tracing the document has become an issue. We have to find a way of making things more clearer to whoever will be giving the contracts. I have met the contractor here before. He came on site. The headmistress and the neighbors of the community can attest to the fact that work has been ongoing and he has to raise a certificate for, 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 for ratification and payment. But even in that course, you know, as parents and as an assemblyman, that I also belong to the PTA, we came, we assessed the situation. Those that we think we can start, we put in an effort. Eventually, the contractor is back on site, trying to do the, most importantly, the place of convenience, both for teachers and students. Municipal Chief Executive for Crow War, Joshua Niboti, says his outfit is working on completing the school Despite challenges with funds. It was very bad when I came, but I invested about probably 600,000 Ghana cities into that project. It's a huge project, as you said. So there's a contractor on site. He's almost uh, finishing with the tallest facility. The information I have is that uh, the whole facility is finished, especially the washrooms. They are left with the connection of the water from Ghana water so that they can fully use it. Yes, they don't have toilet facilities. It's a challenge for them. But at times, the church close by give them access to, to use it. So, since the blessing has been a project that has been on, on my table for a very long time, I'm passionate about school and the children who are always to really educate and, and really feed and lead, see them develop to leaders. You understand? So, that is it about St. Augustine's. I will not give you timelines, but I will speak to you. We have to get some funds for the contractor to really fasten up the job that he's doing so that we get it complete. Meanwhile, Parent Teacher Association Chair of St. Augustine Basic School, Julius Aokudabi, believes completing the stored project will ensure safety of their wards and cut down loitering. Kwame Yankes reports for Joy News. And now the Upper West, the Regional Minister, Dr. Hafiz bin Sali, has urged uh, personnel of the National Service Scheme to be not to be discouraged by the challenges they are currently facing at their post. Instead, they should see their service as an opportunity to contribute to the development of the country. Speaking at the Upper West uh, Regional version of the 50th anniversary, uh, Remembrance Day in Wa, he noted that it is a springboard to their future. Uh, Successes Joy News's Apple West uh, correspondent Rafik Salam was there, and our reports.
staff of the National Service and executive members of the National Service Personnel Association, NASPA, were joined by Upper Sudan Minister Dr. Hafiz Bin Sali at a conference room of the Upper Sudan Coordinating Council to watch a virtual live show of the National Remembrance of the 50th Anniversary of the National Service Scheme. Upper Sudan Director of the NSS, Dousu Daniel, Federal Light on the program. The National Service, we know, uh, started in 1973 uh, by uh, Ignatius Kuntun Achampo. Today, the 7th of September, marks the, the exact day he assented to the decree that established National Service. So, we know we have lost a lot of heroes, service persons and staff during the day. So, we've decided that today we will use the day to remember them and give them some respect. Dr. Binsali recalled with nostalgia, he stented one years ago as a national service personnel, which he said has impacted on his life. I did my national service with the then Ghana Water and Sewage Corporation, Ghana Water Corporation. Now, I have no regrets whatsoever. I learned a lot, and all the things I learned in me. He urged national service personnel in the country not to be deterred by the challenges they are currently encountering but should spare them on to greater heights. And this gives you the opportunity to have a feel of what people are doing to make our country a better place for all of us. I will therefore entreat each and every one of you not to be deterred by the challenges, but to be spared on to give off your best as you contribute to the forward march of our dear country, Ghana. At exactly 11.45 a.m., there was a flag raising ceremony at the forecourt of the Upper Senior Coordinating Council where a two-minute silence was observed for departed souls and the sounding of the last post aided by personnel from the Ghana Armed Forces and the Ghana Police Service. Some executives of NASPA share their thoughts about the day. Today is worth remembering because it's to remember all the past um, NSPs who are dead currently. And today is really a memorable day for us. Thank you. Are you proud to be a national service personnel? And I'm tell me very why. proud to be a national service personnel because I'm serving the country that is Ghana. So it's good that we also maybe also go through history. Also know the people that have uh, contributed our quota to support um, national service. So I think it's a very good initiative that they have given to us. Though they thank the government for the increase in the monthly allowance, they believe it is peanut that can hold both body and soul together. 559 is actually too small. Uh, when you take 559, you go to the market. Uh, it will surprise you that you only buy some few tubers of yam and then tomatoes. So it will be good they actually increase it. We heard they've increased it to 715, but then also uh, the 715 have not come yet. It is something we are actually expecting and we are praying that they send it to us.
And that's all we have for you here on The Pulse. I'm Blessed so and log on to myjoyonline.com for more stories. We'll see you again next is Let's Talk Showbiz. Thanks for watching. Bye-bye.